Hello, I'm Ed Needham, editor of the fabulous literary magazine Strong Words, and this is my podcast, The Five Rules of Writing. In each episode, I speak to a most excellent writer in a particular genre about how they do it. And if you'd like to know more about Strong Words, and specifically how to subscribe, go to www.strong-words.co.uk and you'll be whisked straight to the website. Hello and welcome to the Five Rules of Writing, brought to you by Strong Words magazine. Now this is a podcast where I talk to writers about the five things they know to be true in writing whatever it is that they write for a living. So whether they spend their days writing the great American novel or parking tickets, there are some aspects of their work that are absolutely non-negotiable. Now today I'm delighted to welcome, in something of a diversion from our conventional guest pool, a songwriter. He's also a lyricist and musician who has been in the music business since the 60s and whose name can be found on some huge hits. He was barely off the telly in the first half of the 70s as the guitarist with Mud, and since then his name has appeared in the credits of songs that are always being played somewhere around the world, such as Spiller's Groove Jet and Kylie's Can't Get You Out of My Head. So I'm very excited to welcome a man who is going to share his five rules of writing a chart topper, Rob Davis. Hello, Rob. Hi, Anne. Thank That's you for joining me. How long have you been earning a living in the music business, Rob? Oh, as you said, since the 60s, yeah. I mean, um, it, it was better times for gigging and stuff in the 70s. Now bands really suffer, but we, we were earning a living before we even made it, you know. Mm-hmm. And who would you have been listening to when you started out? Wow, so very, very first it would have been Shadows, Dwayne Eddy, people like that, and then merged into different people in the 70s, yeah. And when you started, songwriter and performer were still two very different professions, weren't they? Definitely, definitely. I mean, when, did, when were you first aware of bands writing their own songs and did you think, oh yeah, I could do that? Very early on, I was aware of it and, and I just did it as a sort of a hobby. I always had a tape recorder, I used to have to multi-track in, in a different way in those days in the 60s it's really tough to get something to sound good but yeah I was very aware earlier on like like late teens I'd say and so, and do you remember the first time you sort of realized yes this is this is allowed now it's permitted for people to for, for performers to write their own music yeah yeah I mean I think more, with more of me, it, it was an enjoyment thing as well. I, I sort of love writing and I love the technical side of recording it as well. So I think it just, I got into the whole bit. But and I was were more you a, with the guitar initially before songwriting, you know. Right. And were you a sort of student of music? Were you a, did you kind of study songwriting? I, I didn't study songwriting, but I did have sort of things like classical guitar lessons when I was very young. So I had sort of various info, insights, you know. Mm-hmm. And are you still very much a, a full timer? Are you in the studio every day? Yeah, a few gigs when you can, or do you or do you sort of wait for inspiration to strike? And no, I'm 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 in studio all the time because because I produce a little bit as well. So it's a it's a long operation nowadays when you're doing it all yourself, writing and producing. But but I do co-write with a lot of people. But no, and, all, all, to, all the time, even though it's not so profitable nowadays with the Spotify thing going on and all that. For, right, songwriters, but it's still good openings, you know. And where where do we where do we find your beautiful studio? Where I am now, behind mm-hmm. me. <laughs> and where where is that, Rob? Where it's are you? In Bromley. Okay. In Bromley, yeah, London, yeah. And and is your you know your studio time is that focused on sort of trying to f- f- 
sort of mine a new hit? Is it is it sort of hit centric or uh, is it is a much broader sort of approach to music? It's I, I do different things. I mean, it, it is there because I get stuff released on labels, on small labels, and, and I'm always aware of getting something that's strong, a little bit left center, and and um, trying to get that that special magic going. Yes, always. And what what sort of in brief was the sort of journey of appearing in one of the most recognisable glam bands of the day to writing massive dance hits? You know, how did you find your way from one to the other? I, I think um, coming out of the rock thing, um, late seventies, I started getting into more sort of black music and funk, and I I went went on to do an album with a guy called Oliver Cheatham in the eighties, who was very sort of funky sort of black dance music. And um, moved on from then. I met Paul Oakenfold later on. He said, like, dance music's going to be massive with songs on it. And, and I was probably one of the first people writing top lines over dance tracks, you know, through meeting, meeting Oakenfold, you know. From Strong Words magazine, these are the five rules of writing. So let's get on to your rules, Rob. So these are, by the end of this, no one will have any excuse not to be able to write a, a huge yeah. hit. But uh, anyway, your first rule, you say you're, the song idea and lyric needs to be left of centre, nothing too obvious. What do you mean by that exactly? It, it's, it's my little personal thing, really, uh, not only for success, but for credibility, I think, as well. I've just got this thing about not having an obvious lyric that's been done before and try, trying to keep away from love and all that because there's been so many songs, you know, with the same love title. I just mm -hmm. think to get an, a, a lyric that's slightly unusual is is part of my thing, really. And where might you look for such a such a thing? I, I mean, I, I, I keep in my phone... If I go a trip to town, I'll look through the papers. I'll even stop at Smith's bookstore and look look for song titles. I just keep zillions and zillions of ideas, magazines. I mean, there's famous quotes from the Bee Gees. They used to buy all the daily papers and stick them all around them and they stick in a circle and they just nick subtitles and stuff like that. <laughs> and where does a song sort of begin to be written for you then? Does it begin with that with that fragment of lyric or what? what is the initial fragment? It, it's It's... It's all all different. Every time I write a tune, if, if I know I'm going to write a dance tune um, and there's a project going, which there always is, um, I, I probably start with a backing track, with, with a track, um, but I'll be loose about that. I'll be try, change the chords if need be and, and, and I'll just run some vocal ideas over the track. Um, but I, I will refer to, to those lyrics again. Just look for a, a great title. Okay. And are there songwriters who you have tried to emulate? Um. God, I mean, I, I love people like Steely Dan from the 70s. They, they were such great writers and the music was amazing, incredible chords and incredible lyrics. So I'm always looking for the two, you know. Mm -hmm. And did anyone actually at, at any point sit you down and, and teach you how to do it? Or is it no, all I, I think on the job? I think the learning part is listening to the great records. I really do. Song structures, the great records. And, and with the song structures, I, I do this other, other this song thing where I mentor writers. And, and I always say that there's no rules. You don't have to do verse, bridge, chorus. Such, I mean, can't get you out of my head to prove that because it wasn't that. It was com completely different. Mm -hmm. And do you spend a lot of time then sort of dismantling songs? You know, you get your old Steely Dan records out and work out just how they did it. Yeah, well, sometimes, it's, especially um, if if you with those sort of things, the chords are like incredible. So that, that's like a, 
you know an education in itself you know looking at chord sequence and stuff mm-hmm. i mean do you and do you feel you you sort of might forget something that feels magical you know this music is so ephemeral isn't it so hard to to sort of grasp you know do you, yeah. do you worry something might just float through your head and float right out again yeah i do in, in fact I, I was i was in ibiza last week and there was a couple of lines came into my head and i thought and i didn't have a pen in my phone handy and I, said, I must remember this and i've forgotten when i got home <laughs> really mad but yeah. and is um kylie's uh can't get you out of my head is that the biggest song you've been part of what happened there to make it so huge do you think um well it was a writing day with me and Kathy, and I'd, n- I'd never met her up until this weekend. And we did two days together. This is Kathy Fisher. Kathy Dennis, yeah. Kathy Dennis, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, I'd never met her. Some Fuller put, put us together at the time, and and um, we did one day. We got one song, and and that we did that on the second day. I think I just had a drum loop to start with, and um, and we and I had an acoustic guitar in my old studio that was in Epsom in Surrey. Uh, and um, she came up with, um, she said, I've got this, um, I just can't get you out of my head hook. She started singing it over these D minors to A minors that I was playing. And it was one of these songs where we wrote the track and the structure and the whole thing as we went, moved along over about five hours. Um, and we had the whole thing in seven hours, you know, the demo produced. And did you know at the time that this is, this is huge? It felt good, but I, I didn't know it was going to be that that huge. No. And did was it written with um, with Kylie in mind? No, I mean it, it was a sh- Simon Fuller sort of heard it and shocked it to a couple of people, including Sophia Ellis Bexter, who I know very well, and she uh, she dumped it and and uh, S Club Seven dumped it and and uh, I sent a cassette at the time to Jamie, who's Kylie's A uh, and R, and he flipped and said she's coming down to you, and I went. <laughs> <laughs> she's on the way don't give it to yeah, anyone else yeah <laughs> and and did would did um sophie alex bexter regret uh yeah we still talked on it yeah she did yeah <laughs> um and what kind of difference does writing such a thing make to your life you know is that uh is that kind of new car new house new chateau yes, new so better, better studio better equipment yeah all, all that yeah um yeah definitely moved you definitely up 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 Okay. Now then, your second rule, Rob, you say being a musician as well as a top liner, I try to find chord progressions which feel special. What what is a top liner exactly? Um, A a top liner is, a a lot of girls are top liners. They sing and they write the vocal and the lyric. Maybe they write it over to a famous DJ's backing track or something. But again, you know, there's no rules. Maybe some people just write lyrics, but but if normally if if you're a singer and you're a top liner, it's it's great because you can do a vocal at home and send it off to a producer. You know. And do you consider yourself more of a songwriter or a lyricist? I'm, I I try to do everything. I, I don't know why because I've been put into various camps over the years. You know where I've had to go at all different things. You know, and, uh-huh. and um, I think you become really choosy in every way once once you do it all. You know. Right, and trying to find chord progressions which feel special that feels uh that feels a bit ambitious there's a quote i think um uh, from noel gallagher he says there's only 12 notes and there's only 36 chords you know where do, where does originality come from uh, well I, I think well i again can't get you on my head it's got a diminished chord in it and no dance tune or or, or pop dance tunes normally have that sort of chord so mm-hmm. if you find something unusual i think it, I, I think um 
I'm trying to think. Uh, there was an old songwriter used to say, "Look for that special change." You know. And what what effect would a would a diminished chord have on a song? What sort of mood does that create? That's inappropriate for the dance. It's slightly floor? intense thing. It just just jacks it all up a bit into a different direction. You know, it's really weird on on these songwriting things that are. People analyse all this, but I, I, don't, I just don't think there's any rules. You just got to try things and see how they feel, you know. Right. So it's more of a sort of more of a numbers game then. Just keep producing and see if feeling see try if something in there. Yeah. Now the technology is so great. I mean, you can get a song and you can chop a verse into a different place, or you put a bridge in front of the verse. I had one publisher used to say, "Get a great chorus and make that your verse, and then get a chorus that's better." You know, but again, it's just to <laughs> keep in mind, you know. And um, I mean, one of the most frustrating things I think for anyone who's who's hit the jackpot in what they do, whether that's sort of having a a hit single or a hit novel or winning a big sporting prize, is that yeah. having done it once, you're often none the wiser as to how to do it again, right? Oh, yeah, and, and circumstances change as you get older, and you learn different things, and yeah, it's it is a funny one. Yeah, you hit that magic thing, and. Yeah, get it. And sometimes it's the surrounding circumstances, getting it to the right person and the right act. And so, does this absolutely drive you nuts? You know, that it's like you've got to the top of the mountain and uh, and you've they don't give you a map to do it again, you know, or is that not your goal? You've just got to keep pushing. I, and... I just love love the, the doing of it anyway. So I'm, I'm sort of in a good place, really. But I'm, I am sort of thinking of that and reaching for that. It's even harder nowadays to do because there's millions and millions of writers. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, I mean, it must be tempted, tempting to try and copy the formula, no? Or yeah, you, I mean... Are you I aware of the hear, pitfalls of that? Yeah, I often hear a great record on the radio. I think, this is amazing. I've got, got, got to put this up in the studio. and, and uh, Nick it. Yeah, so, well, PWL Waterman used to do that. He used to take all the old soul records and listen to the changes and, and rip them off. Everybody <laughs> <does> it. <laughs> I mean, no, that's, that is sort of a famous uh, sort of maxim of, uh, of all creativity, isn't it? If, uh, you know, I can't re- quite remember what the saying is, but if, you, you know, good, uh, good artists steal is essentially the, uh, yeah. you know, the heart of it. Now, the rule three, you say on the vocals, don't be afraid to leave spaces. Also, plenty of highs and lows. Make sure you have different. Make sure different sections work from verse to bridge, bridge to chorus. Now, I'm a bit surprised about this. That you say, you know, it's a lyricist talking about leaving spaces for the vocals. Because I would have thought lyricists would be tempted to fill every available space. No. Yeah, this is um, something we were talking about again on on this songwriting thing that I do. Um, so sometimes, especially nowadays, maybe you've got an instrumental with a, gr- a great riff around it on a chorus. Sometimes a little simple vocal in the spaces can be magical, you know. Again, it's that searching for the magic. But, but yeah, some, I mean, some records really work with a, a rappy sort of vocal fast. But sometimes it can be magical just to leave a hole, you know. And do you write lyrics with particular singers in mind? Um, not really. I, I think I just try to get something that's strong all the time. Just think of that. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, and sort of phraseology is such a important skill as well, isn't it? Of the of yeah. the singer, you know. Thinking of people like you know, sort of Frank Sinatra, somebody who felt like he just had all the time in the world with his yeah. with his singing. Whereas someone like Mick Jagger sort of 
snapped every word off the second he was done with it. You know, do you do you sort of build that in as a lyricist, or is it um, sort it's of hand it over? Let the let the on a Sinatra thing. Every time I hear a new singer do a Sinatra song, why have you done this? It's never going to be as good as the original. See, the production's never as good. The vocals never as good. It's, it's like, leave it where it was because it was magical, you know. Like and are there, are there singers who do things with lyrics today that kind of make you think, wow, you know, how did they yeah. get so much out of so few words? Um, again, one of my points on those um, songwriting things is um, getting a good, a great vocalist on your song. So maybe they can twist the line around and think, wow, I could never sing it like that. And who are your other sort of greats? You know, you mentioned Frank Sinatra, but who who else do you, do you sort of consider just a... A, a absolute master with a lyric, the way in which they treat it. Uh, I think Diane Warren's pretty, pretty incredible. She's always got some beautiful change in there. In fact, Unbreak My Heart's got an incredible chord change. And the Unbreak My Heart line is brilliant. It's just mm-hmm. sort of a reversal thing, you know. Okay. Now, number four, you kind of mentioned this already, but let's talk about this a bit more. You say, I keep a phone and book full of lyrical ideas. Yeah. Keep adding to it. Do, do, do you find that, you know, this is this, uh, you know, the sort of school of lyricists, you all, you all do this or is this unique to you? No, it's, I think this is unique to me, but I think a lot of people, do, if another singer comes to me, I, I say, have you got anything, you know, and then maybe they'll get a little book out and they've got some lyrics they've written down. Um, I like I like someone to have, have load, loads of that, you know, to, to bring to the table, really. And, and, and to be able to... Um, if we've got a nice vibe going on to be able to change that lyric to something else and maybe look in your phone for a better line or something, it'll be more magical, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the problems I find with keeping notes, is I also keep little notebooks and write things down, is uh, you've still got to find things in the notebook, right? If you've got all this great volume of lyrics, how do you, how do you pick the right one from this mass that uh-huh. you've... Uh, uh, well, in my phone, I've got a way of finding the latest stuff, which I'm probably more excited about. And if I'm struggling to, uh, with one of those lines on the latest stuff, I'll, I'll zip through it and see if there's anything else. You know. And, and what makes a great lyric for you? You mentioned things which are slightly, you know, left of centre. Yes. But what, what, um, what do you, what lyric would you, would you, do, what do you aspire to sort of produce with a lyric? Well, like I just said, that unbreak my heart is instead of saying don't break my heart, unbreak it. It's just like clever ways of doing things, you know, and and uh, something unusual like um like Steely Dan has a song called Kid Charlemagne, and I went, what that's what's that about? But you hear the song go, wow, fucking amazing lyric, and it's an amazing story, you know. Um, why didn't you write more songs for Mud, Rob? I know you you did a bit with them, but they were a lot of the hits were by the. the producers weren't they yeah it was chin and chapman at the time um they did the, all your tiger feats and stuff but um the bass player and i did a thing called lucy which is quite a big record mm. take it down which was more of a movement into a funky sort of vibe which sort of helped my career for, for now you know. so were you trying to write for them and getting pushed back you know uh, was it still this slight sort of overlap between you know that the band wasn't expected to write songs um, well, well initially um when we met chin and chapman it was like get you in the studio, do, we've got this Tiger Feet, we've got these other songs, do them, and we did them really quick. And also we were earning on the road, um, and we actually put a, a whole album together of covers for the first Mud Rock album because it it was just a quickness thing and and it seemed to work, you know. And and I've always, and I wrote the B-sides, but I had to share them with the band on that stuff. So I was still doing it, and eventually uh, we got our own 
singles. Okay, I mean, with, with, with that band, was it? Were you expecting? Was that? Um, were you aiming to be huge, or was it? Was it? Was it just a way of making money at the time? Um, it was. A, it was a long story. We were on the road, um, doing lots of gigs, and we with mud to, to earn money. We'd do colleges, we'd do social clubs, we'd do cabaret, anything, and and we had a big following up north. And um, Mickey Mouse saw us live, and he put Chin Chapman on to us. And um, it was just because we had this following, and we had a really good live act. We had an amazing front man used to muck around, and, and um, they just saw it as like a, a big thing to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the things with Mud were were very. Um, I mean, been watching the old sort of films from Top of the Pops and uh, whatever else comes up on YouTube, and they're they're very choreographed, aren't they? All your your performances, every step was uh, every yeah. element of the song was choreographed. Where did that come from? Uh, it was came from playing a club in Nottingham. And we saw all these guys doing that that dance thing. Right, they were, they were actually. It was like mad. This club. They were actually drinking pints and then throwing them into the other one's mouth while they were doing that. It's like, <laughs> so this is the dance with kind of their th- sort of thumbs in the, exactly. in the waistband, Rock right? And yeah. doing it with the elbows out. Yeah, and that was our roadies on, on stage with us as well doing that. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I have to ask you about the costumes as well, because that was the the, the rest of the band kind of wore uh, sort of t- basic teddy boy suits, right? Yeah, Drake jackets and, uh, and um, whereas you, even though you're always colour coordinated, wore these very sort of flowing, quite feminine yeah. costumes uh, with these huge sort of chandelier earrings as well. Where did, even at the height of glam, this was quite uh, a um, wardrobe. Where did that come from, Rob? When, when we uh, first had, we went to a place called Carnaby Cabin in, in Carnaby Street, this guy Colin Wild um, made made the drapes and stuff for the guys, and he said that doesn't suit you to me. And he said I'm going to make you something different. And then it got worse and worse and more outrageous by each costume and each record, you know. Yeah. Right. And now, um, okay. So number five, you say uh, this is your fifth rule: get the best possible production on your song before playing to industry people. Now, this made me think. You know, what would I do if I? say, had a dream in which I was in the most debauched nightclub and there's a singer performing a song which I just know has got kind of number one record in 56 countries written all over it. Mm-hmm. How would I give myself the best chance to cash in on this piece of music that I've just imagined? Well, I, th- I think you'd have to, if you're not an experienced producer, you'd have to find someone who can do it for you and, and just keep nagging them and saying, let's make this record and and... And if the singer's great as well, use use the singer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you get people still sort of ringing record companies and singing something down the phone to them, or not anymore? No, that's, <laughs> that's a complete. I mean, even more so nowadays because the technology is so amazing. You can have incredible gear in your bedroom and you can make it sound great, you know. But it, the record company expects that to all to be there. No demos. It has to blow them completely, blow them away. Okay. I mean, you mentioned that there's a, an awful lot, you know, there's more con- competition now than ever before, right? Technology yeah. has enabled pretty much anybody to have a go yeah. if they want. How do you how do you stand out in that immensely crowded market? I hope because I've got the musical experience as, as well that, that I can do something different with it. I mean, I think a lot of, pe- a lot of kids now probably don't play so much. I mean, some can, probably piano geniuses and stuff, but... Um, some of them um, maybe cordially don't don't know enough, but 
and I, and I hear that on dance records. So sometimes there's one chord going through the whole thing, and you think, oh, this could be a bit more interesting, you know. <laughs> and is it a great fear that someone is going to steal your idea? Is that still something? Sometimes that it can be, yeah. So, I mean, in the old days, you used to have to song, send your song off to PRS and put it in a sealed envelope. But nowadays, I think you have to play that by ear. And if something's on the radio and you think it's been nicked, then you, you've got to, got to go to the publishers with it and stuff. And do you, does that take up a lot of your time then? Sort it, of, it would, uh, yeah, it would, yeah. Because so much is stolen nowadays and sampled. It's like a mad world out there. You know, because um, a, lot, a lot of rap stuff just still old backing tracks and, and of course the person who's written like like are they a fat back band i think they, they're making millions just from you know rap samples it's a it's funny old scene out there and are you come constantly sort of monitoring your the theft of your back catalogue is that is that something you become aware of yeah especially the kylie one i mean i've noticed the track gets stolen quite quite a lot the, the whole vibe of the track but i don't think you can get done for a backing track really They'd have okay to a big bit yeah and how much, you know, what? so what happens? You go to these people, you say you've nicked that. Um, they say uh, guilty. And what happens? Is there is it, is money ex, is money exchanged or do they just agree not to do it again? Um, well, well here's, here's one instant. I've got, I've got a song called Tox Miracle that was number one. Um, there's, there's been a, the odd producer and stuff that are remaking, remade it, the song, and put their name on the, on the, on the publishing. And I just... Uh, go to because Universal were in there. I've just gone, gone to them a couple of times and they've just sent them a, a message saying you're not getting any publishing on this. And of course, they can control that. The publishing, so. All right. Okay. So it's so it's, you, you divert the, the money at source, then it comes to you without having to yeah, it, it, either, you know, strip to the waist and fight them in the streets or, or hand over huge sums of money to the lawyers. Yeah, yeah. That goes on. I think court cases still go on a lot nowadays. Uh-huh. And you've been at this for almost as long as the music industry has existed, Rob. Where, where do you still get your motivation from? Again, as I said earlier, hearing new records. I mean, I don't like everything, but I hear the odd thing. I think it's just amazing. You know? Just uh, I find that inspiring. In fact, my, my son's always selling, saying, oh, listen to this, listen to this on SoundCloud, and vice versa. We're always sending this out of the new things that are out. It's exciting. So- and what have you heard most recently that's made you kind of think, uh, I'm really glad I'm still working in this business? Um, there's an, an act called Griff, she's a girl. I think she 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 got a Brit, maybe she got a Brit award. She, she's got a song called Black Hole. I think that's probably one of the best things I've heard this year. Really nice. And do you still enjoy being part of the music industry? I mean, I, nobody's met anyone over the last year or so, but is it? do you still get a thrill from, you know, performing, being you know, uh, having, you know, the, the, the laminate that entitles you to go wherever you feel like, hanging out with um, people you admire, this kind of thing, or are you just locked in your studio now? You're more interested in the in the, the artistry of it. Well, well, I do love, because I'm a guitar player, I miss playing live, you know, just even little gigs just for a laugh, you know, down the pub. We're not even doing allowed to do that at the moment. Uh-huh. And, and the last few years, we've done a few mug gigs abroad and stuff, which I've enjoyed, you know, just going back, just me and the original bass player. But I do miss that. But I do, I do miss, like, meeting people in the social side of the business, yeah. And do you still see many people from those, from the sort of glam glory days? A few, yeah. A few. I was in touch with my old bass player and a few well-known faces. <laughs> and will you be, you'll 
have you got any gigs planned? Are you returning to? I to reckon live works? if it, all, all the if we're allowed to next year, I think we'll probably do a few mad things. Yeah, brilliant. Well, best of luck, Rob. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's been a real pleasure, and I've really enjoyed it. From Strong Words Magazine, these are the five rules of writing. Mm-hmm.